0: ...the red gallery either. Today she'd let go the very last member of her staff. Except for Tutu, of course. She'd never let go of Tutu. Don't worry, she said to the little black cat curled up in the corner of her office in his bed. If I sell the gallery, you won't be homeless. You can come live with me. Tutu, short for Toulouse-Lautrec, Merely glanced in her direction, blinking his luminescent green eyes, before returning to the task at hand, namely licking his right paw for the next ten minutes. Tutu had been the gallery cat for ten years. Her mother had found the malnourished black kitten in an alley two streets away, and had brought him here to nurse him back to health. He'd never gotten very big, but his coat was glossy and soft, his eyes bright, And his purrs loud enough to wake the dead she wasn't allowed pets in her apartment but what her landlady didn't know wouldn't hurt her ten years mona had been fifteen when they found tutu ten years ten years ago the gallery had been the apple of savoy street the darling of the art district but rents had gone too high and the galleries one by one had shut their doors or moved Only the red was left behind. And now it would close its doors, too. Mona rose from her desk and walked to Tutu's bed. She stroked his head, his chin, pressed her hand to his side to feel that marvelous diesel engine purr. It comforted her. She whispered promises to Tutu, that he would like it at her apartment, that she wasn't firing him, she was selling the gallery, she told him to tell her mother, her mother had been certain cats could communicate with the dead, that Mona had done all she could to save the red. No banks would loan her money. The credit cards were maxed. Bankruptcy was imminent. Art, for art's sake, was a lovely idea in theory. But art alone couldn't pay the bills. Mona stood up straight and squared her shoulders. The wall clock said it was almost midnight, Sometime in the last hour, she'd made up her mind to sell. She felt better now that she'd acknowledged she had no choice but to sell. The numbers weren't going to magically multiply, no matter how long she stared at them. Might as well give up, go home, and sleep. She slung her black bag over her shoulder, took her red coat off the hook, and laid it over her arm, slipped her feet back into her black heels and blew a goodnight kiss at Tutu. Time to lock up, time to give up, except there was a man standing in the gallery. Mona gasped, her hand over her mouth. It didn't seem he had heard her gasp. He didn't even turn to look at her. She swallowed hard, her heart running like the white rabbit. He was tall and broad-shouldered and wore a three-piece black suit. He had one hand on his hip, one hand on his chin. Although his clothes were modern and he looked about forty years old, there was something about him that looked old. No, not old. Old world, perhaps. Yes, that. Old world. She could think of no other way to describe him. It was the hair. That was it. He wore his hair in a style that would have best belonged on a Regency-era lord. Black and tousled, rakish even. He reminded her of Eugene Delacroix's dashing self-portraits. Dark eyes, black heart. To Mona, he looked like the devil gone courting. But who was the devil's lucky lady? Sir, Mona finally worked up her courage to speak. The gallery is closed. He didn't speak at first, but he did move at last. He dropped his hand from his chin and stepped toward the small painting in front of him. It was a George Morland, a contemporary of Joshua Reynolds, nothing terribly impressive about it, merely an uninspired painting of men in red coats on horseback. A pretty painting, pretty and unobtrusive. Mona imagined an older couple looking to decorate a country house would take a shine to it. All it had done in the four months it hung on the gallery wall was gather dust.